Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. I'm going to be jumping all over the place this morning. I'm going to begin a topical study with you. So topical means that we're not just going to find a passage and break down each little detail of this passage. It means we're talking about a certain topic or a certain subject. And so we're going to be jumping around. Hope you're ready to take some notes and jot some of these things down. I want to start this morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is sickness a part of God's plan for me? Is sickness a part of God's plan for me? Hallelujah. We'll have those titles on the screen for you. Is sickness a part of God's plan for me? I really want to help answer this question, and and here's my reason for this. In Proverbs 6, 31, it says... In verse 30, excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he's starving. I want you to say thief. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. If the thief is caught, the thief is required to pay back seven times what he stole. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they said, well, that's great. I believe it, but how do you catch the thief? You know how you catch the thief? You recognize his hand in a situation. How do you recognize the hand of the thief? Well, according to the word of God. That you have to get this word and get a revelation of what this word says, and once you understand, and there's no question in you, you're not a read blown and tossed by the wind. You're not unsettled. You're not double-minded. You know that you know that you know that you know what God's will is according to his word. You can begin to catch the thief in the action. Hey, hold on a second, devil. That's not right. Hallelujah. That's not right. You can't do that according to the word of God. This doesn't belong to me according to the word of God. This is not my, this is not my portion according to the word of God. And, and you catch the thief in the act, and he has to repay you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, so is sickness a part of God's plan for me? I really want to help get this in you for you to understand. I think a lot of people, they believe, well, I believe that God wants me healed. And if you don't believe that, just just have grace and have an open heart. And I ask you to enter into this series with me and approach it from what does the Bible say? That is the healthiest position a person could ever take on planet Earth. It's not what have you experienced Right? Because a lot of people, they don't take the position of what does the Bible say. They take the position of what have I personally experienced. They'll say, well, I'm going to build my theology about healing based off of what happened to my grandma, what happened to my aunt, what I've experienced personally. And I'm going to ask you to lay that aside and just simply approach this from the position of what does the Bible black and white teach? Amen. 
And then that's the thing is once you get it settled, and a lot of people, they can never catch the thief because they're not sure. They're kind of riding the line between my experience versus what the Bible says, and so the devil's got his hand all up in their junk and all up in their life, and, and they're sitting there debating, well, is this just a part of life? Is this just a part of God's will? Is this just something that I have to endure and it's something I have to deal with and figure out? No, you need to be certain of what God's word says in regards to his will for you. So let's answer the question, is sickness a part of God's plan for me? I've heard it, I've heard it all. People have, take the position, well, when you get sick, did God give me this sickness? Is God allowing me to have this sickness to purify me, to purge me? Is God allowing me to have this sickness so that he may receive glory? You know, some people believe that. Well, you know, they'll say things like, well, if it, if it brings the Lord glory, then, then I'll bear it. It's my cross to bear if it brings God glory. I'm telling you, I believe that those people are good-hearted, genuine-hearted people, but they're sitting there letting the devil eat their lunch because they're not certain about what the Word of God says in regards to this subject. So let's break this down. I want to start with the origin of sickness. The origin of sickness. Look at, write this down for point number one this morning. Sickness and death were not created by God and were not a part of God's original design. So if you really want to answer the question, is God the author of sickness? Or let's make it personal. When you're going through something or experiencing this in your life and your family and you ask yourself the question, is God the author of this situation? Let's just trace it back. You know, there's a law that I'm going to mention when studying the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. Anytime something is mentioned for the first time in Scripture, it, it, it displays the will of God in purity. Okay? So when we look at God's original creation, original design, sickness and death were not a part of that original creation and that original design. Amen. Did you know that God didn't even create death? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna answer this question in just a second. I'll show you this. God did not create sickness. God did not create death. It was not in the garden when he made Adam and when he made Eve. That means that it was never a part of his plan. So where did it come from? Romans chapter 5, 12. It says, when Adam, say Adam. When God? No, Adam sinned. Sin entered the world. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. So did sin exist in the world before Adam committed that sin? No, it didn't. Did God create sin? No. Did it exist? No. It did not even have access to the world, sin, until Adam disobeyed God. And when Adam disobeyed God, it says sin entered into the world. And then this is what happened. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We're going to cover this point in just a moment, but sin produces death. So did God create death? Did God create people to die? Did God create, and what, what propagates death? Sickness. That's one of the forms in which you can die. 
When death was brought into the world through sin, sickness was also brought into the world because we know this very well. People don't just grow old and live strong and healthy lives until they turn 120 years old and then all of a sudden they just, you know, they close their eyes and then they're with the Lord. That's not what happens. What happens? There's an attack on their body. They begin, normal people, they begin to deteriorate. Their body becomes uh, deteriorated by, by plague, by disease, by sickness until things stop working and then ultimately they pass away. And so sin brought death. Say sin brought death. Did God bring death? No, sin brought death. And when Adam disobeyed, sin entered into the world. Hallelujah. Look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you, must, you, must, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at this. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So, we know the story in Genesis, what happened, man and woman, they ate the fruit and death came into the world. That's important for you to understand this. Say sin came into the world. So I already mentioned it, but I'll say it again for your notes. Write this down. The, the garden falls under the law of first mention. The Garden of Eden falls underneath this principle of the law of first mention. The Garden of Eden was a picture of God's perfect will for humanity. What's God's perfect will for humanity? Guess what? In the garden, there was no sin in the garden. There was no death in the garden. There was no illness in the garden. There was no lack or poverty in the garden. Amen. There was no separation from God in the garden. You begin to identify these things. If the situation involves sin, if it involves death, it involves illness, it involves lack or poverty, it involves separation, that w then God's not the author of it because what God authored did not consist of, of sin, of death. It didn't consist of, let me see here, sin, death, illness, lack, poverty, or separation. So, Write this down, number two. When Adam disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. When Adam disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. I know I had you say it, but I want you to say it again. Say sin entered into the world. What happened when sin entered into the world? What does sin bring with it? Two things here. Number one, sin produces death. Sin produces death. Again, in Romans 5.12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sin. Sin produces death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That means that if you sin, it produces death. Amen. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the thing that's interesting. When sin entered into the world, it didn't only bring its friend, death. It also brought its other friend, according to the scripture, sickness and disease. 
So I want you to write this down. Sin produces sickness and disease. We're going to prove it from the Bible. Sin produces sickness and disease. Or you could say this. Sickness and disease are a byproduct of sin. I'm going to read something to you. Genesis 20, 17 through 18, it says, this is talking about Abraham. Abraham came into a city, and, you know, Abraham, he had a beautiful wife, the Bible says. He said his wife, I mean, she was a looker. Everybody wanted his wife. And so when he got around powerful people, he told his wife, he said, hey, I want you to pretend to be my sister and not my wife, so they don't kill me and try to take you for themselves. So this is exactly what Abraham did. He came, there was a king named Abimelech, and Abraham lied to him and said, hey, this is my sister, Sarah. And, you know, introduce yourself. What did Abimelech do? He looked her up and down and said, man, she looks pretty good. Here, you know, you come and stay with me for a little while. When Abimelech took Abraham's wife, it brought sickness, and it brought um, infirmity, it brought affliction to his body and to his household. So we see this in Genesis 20, 17 through 18. Abraham prayed to God and healed Abimelech. Basically, the whole thing came out. He confessed it. He was like, look, she's, she's technically, this was interesting. The Bible says, Abraham's like, I didn't technically lie. Sarah is my sister because we have the same father. So they were, they were half siblings. I guess they did that back in those days. Abraham really was married to his sister, so technically he didn't lie. And so Abraham prayed to God. Once Abimelech, the Lord came to him, told him, give him back to Abraham, make this right. He did, and he repented. Like, why did you tell me this lady was your sister? You caused me to sin. You caused me to bring destruction upon myself. Then Then Abraham prayed to God, and it says, and God healed Abimelech his wife, and his female servants so that they could have children. For the Lord had caused all the women to be infertile because of what happened with Abraham's wife, Sarah. I'll read it to you in the New King James Version. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Just as just a nugget for you, this is the first miracle of healing that takes place in the Bible, was done through Abraham. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord closed up the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So not only is this the first mention of healing in the Bible, this is the first mention of bodily affliction in the entire Bible. I know people will say, well, didn't God uh, put a mark on uh, who was it, Abel? Cain. Cain killed Abel. No, Abel. Yeah, Cain killed Abel. Cain killed Abel. You guys are like, oh, my gosh, this guy's teaching me the Bible. Yes, Cain killed Abel. And the Lord put a mark on him, but it wasn't a bodily affliction. It wasn't a sickness and a disease. It was just something that, dis- that, s- that made distinction of him so that other people couldn't touch him. Some people believe, I mean, honestly, and I'm not preaching this as theology, but people believe that that's where the first black person came from. Honestly, I've heard that preached. I swear to you, I've heard it preached. Either uh, Dag Haywood Mills, an African preacher, teaches that to his black congregation like solid Bible doctrine. 
that that was the first, you know, black person that was ever on the earth. And so interesting note for you there. Anyways, moving on. (laughs) So this is all live stream, so it's on the internet forever. Praise the Lord. But anyways, what's interesting about this is that this is not only the first mention of healing in the Bible, it's also, again, the first mention of bodily affliction. They had sinned. They had put their hand on something that was set apart to the Lord, and it brought bodily affliction to his house. The Lord caused all of the wombs of his wives to be closed up. And so it's interesting, what was God's solution? It wasn't just medication. It wasn't healthy dieting, which taking care of your body is important. But God's solution, first and foremost, the law first mentioned was a prayer of faith to heal the sick done by Abraham. Amen. So in this, God is showing his method. Praise the Lord. When it comes to sickness and disease, it's important for you to understand not only what God's will for you is, but how God wants to accomplish it. Because people also believe, well, I believe the Lord wants to heal me, uh, but I believe that he's just going to do it over time. You know, he's going to do it over a year's process, and as I begin to make healthier choices and eat more carrots, the Lord will use those carrots to heal my body. Look, it's important to eat healthy and to take care of your body, but that's not God's method of healing. Praise the Lord. When God heals, he heals supernaturally, and he heals in response to faith. And the devil keeps so many people in this trap of always thinking their healing is tomorrow, and it's always coming, and it's always this long, drawn-out process when God, in the law first mentioned, showed that his healing comes instantly and it comes supernaturally. It doesn't come through carrots and spinach. It comes by divine, supernatural impartation. Praise you, Lord Jesus. And so, again, this was the first bodily affliction. And what's interesting is that sin produced the first bodily affliction in the Bible. The first person that we have record of of being, quote, unquote, sick in the Bible, it was sin that produced that for their household. And so this falls underneath this point. Sin produces death, amen, But sin also produces sickness and disease. So let's read this as well in Deuteronomy 28. Under this point, sin produces sickness and disease. Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 61. If you refuse to obey all the words of instructions that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will overwhelm you and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense. I want you to say plagues. These plagues will be intense without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. Say sick. He will afflict you with the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much and that you'll have no relief. The Lord, I want you to highlight this if you're turned to this in your Bible. The Lord will afflict you with every sickness and plague there is, even those not mentioned in the book of instruction until you are destroyed. Say every sickness. So the Bible says in this passage, there is what's known as the curse of the law. Basically, this is what will happen When you sow disobedience, if you disobey God, this is what it produces. 
And it's in Deuteronomy 28. He lists all of these things that are a product of sin or a product of deliberately disobeying the Lord. And what's interesting is he said sickness is a product of disobeying the Lord. Well, let me ask you, what's, what's another way to say disobeying the Lord? Sin. <laughs> sin is another way of saying disobeying the Lord. Sickness is a product of sin. And not only, I love how, how the Lord put this in his word, not only the diseases specifically mentioned in the Bible because you know, God sent specific diseases upon the Egyptians. It says every disease that there is, even those not explicitly mentioned in the scriptures. You know what? When, when the Lord put that in the word, that means every single sickness that exists on planet earth now falls into that category. Cancer, bone cancer, brain cancer, uh, heart, heart deformity, autoimmune disease, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, arthritis, all of these things, anything that can be classified as a sickness falls into that category, and it says sin produces those results. Sin produces sickness and disease. Amen. So, disobedience caused them to fall under the curse which consisted of every disease in existence. Look at Psalms 32.3. Look what David said. Underneath the point that sin produces sickness and disease. Psalms 32.3. When I refuse to confess my sin, say sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. David sinned, and apparently when he sinned, and there was a time in his life where he refused to confess that sin and make that sin right before the Lord, what did he say the result of that sin was? His body wasted away. Bodily affliction. Amen. I know I'm preaching to Brother James this morning. Thank you for the amens. I appreciate it. So I'm going to break down sin. There's two types of sin. There is sin that you commit, and then there's sin that you inherit. Sin that you commit and sin that you inherit. Sin that you commit, I mean, it's very self-explanatory. This means that you deliberately do something to disobey God. That's sin that you commit. That's something that you decided to do. Man, you know, I decided when I was 18 years old, I wanted to go get drunk and throw a party. Well, that's sin that you committed. Okay, but then there's also sin that you inherit. I want you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, 12 through 17. Romans 5, 12 through 17. And if you're feeling discouraged, like, well, man, you know, we're all sinners. That means that we're all just going to be sick, and I've made some mistakes, and, that, you know, that's why I'm sick. Don't worry. It's coming to a climax where I'm going to give you the solution to all the problems that I'm telling you right now. Hallelujah. Verse 12 of Romans 5, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam opened the door for sin, and when sin came in, he brought his two ugly stepsisters, death and disease, with him. Okay? Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. 
It was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as Adam did. That ex- disobeying the explicit command of God is that first category, sin that you commit. But yet it says still everyone sinned. Well, how did everyone sin? Because I want you to understand this. When Adam sinned, every man and woman that would ever exist existed inside Adam in his seed. From Adam's seed, when he reproduced and had children, Think about that. The whole world was populated from Adam, from his seed. And so when he sinned, he didn't just, he didn't just uh, grieve God and make a mistake against the Lord. No, it says that he actually became something. He actually became a different nature. Before, he was perfect. He was righteous. He was holy. There was no sin, no death, no disease, none of that in the garden. And when he sinned and disobeyed God, the Bible actually says that he came out of God's kingdom and came underneath the dominion of Satan. And we'll look at that in just a moment. And whenever Adam did that, he became something that was not the nature of God any longer. And guess what? It wasn't only Adam. It was every human being that existed inside Adam that would come from him. So that's why the Bible says is you're not all, you don't only commit sin. Every single person was born into sin. You were born into sin because you came from Adam. Why is that important? Because there's certain people that think, I don't really need Jesus. You know, I've been a good person. I've done my things. I did what I'm supposed to do. I've, you know, I've not been perfect, but I'm pretty good. They think highly of themselves, and you don't understand. Even if you never intentionally did something against the Lord, you were born into sin, and guess what? That sin that you were born into still produces death. That's why everybody, young or old, rich or poor, white or black, red, yellow, polka dot, doesn't matter, needs salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen. And so it says this now, it says now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. It says this, for the sin of this one man Adam brought death to many. Why? Because Adam sinned and from him men were born into sin. And it says, but even greater is God's wonderful uh, grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Hallelujah. Well, you hear that. Even though, you're like, well, I don't know, could the Lord forgive me? Uh, I've done a lot of bad things. Yes, he forgives you. Even though you are guilty, you may say, I'm guilty. Yes, you are guilty, but he forgives you, and, and it makes atonement for you even though you are guilty. Hallelujah. That's his wonderful free gift of his grace. It says, for the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And so, 
people, there's sin that you commit, two types of sin, and then there's sin that you inherit. I want you to understand this. When you commit sin, we just saw, it produces death and it opens the door. It also produces sickness and disease. So let me say this statement. Not everybody that is sick is sick because you individually sinned. And I'm going to cover that in just a moment. So not everybody that's sick is just because you went and you cheated on your spouse and you embezzled money, you did all these horrible things and it brought sickness upon you. That's not why every human being that's sick, that's not why they're sick. I'll cover that. But I will say this, it's impossible to live in habitual sin and not reap the harvest of sickness and disease. If you do live in what the Bible calls habitual sin, where you are intentionally sinning against God and against his word, it will produce the results of sickness and disease in your life. Okay? So now, just because you're sick doesn't mean that you're intentionally sinning against God. Again, people are born into disease because they're born into sin. That's what we just read in Romans 5, 12 through 17. And in fact, Jesus proved this point very clearly in John 9, 1 through 3. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. You know, you got to ask the questions. Well, what about these babies that come out sick? These babies that come out with diseases, these babies that come out and get cancer, they didn't sin. No, they didn't, but they were born into sin. They were born into a fallen world. And that's what Jesus addresses here. It says, there was a man blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And look what Jesus said. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So people could read that and also think that the Lord put the sickness on him so that he would receive glory. No, that's not at all what Jesus was saying. When you really study this passage out, Jesus never identifies the the direct source of why he was born blind, but he's just shifting the whole thing to the point of, I'm about to heal him. He's blind, but he's not going to be blind much longer because I'm about to work a miracle and he's going to receive his sight. But this man was blind not because he had individually sinned, but because he was born into a fallen world under the dominion of Satan. And so he was born with blindness. He was born into disease. So you must just remember that sin produces death and sin produces sickness and disease. Amen. So what's the source of death? Sin. What's the source of sickness and disease? Sin. Write this down for point number three. Sin brought death and disease into the world, but Satan and demonic forces inflict death and disease upon people. Sin brought death and disease into the world, but Satan and demonic forces inflict death and disease upon people. Basically, what that means is sin opened the door for death and disease. And what did the devil do? He took a hold of what was brought into the earth and he weaponized it and began to use it against people. Okay? This is very important for you to understand this as well. 
I know I'm giving you a lot of things to write down, but write this down. The Bible identifies Satan and demonic forces as the source of bodily affliction. The Bible identifies Satan and demonic forces as the source of bodily affliction. Say the source. So when people were sick in the Bible, the Bible identified that affliction that they were experiencing as the source being Satan or another demonic force, a demon. Maybe you thought you just said sin was the source. No, sin opened the door. The devil took a hold of it, weaponized it, and then began to inflict it upon people. Took that sin, took that death, took that disease, and because he had gained access to this world, began to put it on individuals. I'll prove it to you from the scripture here. Look at Job 2, 6 through 7. Every unbelieving Christian's favorite Bible character to talk about, Job. Uh, 6 through 7. So, Job was a righteous man. Satan comes and has this interaction with the Lord, and, and, he, and, and he's trying to destroy Job. He's trying to get him to curse God. And so, you pick up in verse 6, it says, All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So, Satan left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from his head to foot from his head to his foot let's just go ahead and denounce this right here I hear so many Christians say well if God wants me healed why did the Lord make Job sick well it's very clear here that God did not make Job sick it says Satan struck Job with terrible boils from the head to foot so who who was the source of those boils and that bodily affliction Satan was in Job's case say Satan and we, we could get into a whole other teaching. Well, why was Satan allowed to do that? Well, Satan had access to do it because although Job was a righteous man, he wasn't completely righteous. He wasn't under the blood of Jesus. Job might not have individually sinned against God, but he still inherited sin from his father, Adam. So guess what? That inherited sin still gives the devil access to put those, to inflict those upon people. All right? So, again, you can't even compare our covenant with Job's covenant that he had with the Lord. Number one, Job was not underneath the blood of Jesus. And number two, Job didn't have authority over the devil. In Luke 10, 19, Jesus gave authority to his disciples over all the power of the devil when we use his name. Job didn't have the name of Jesus to use. So the difference between even us and Job is if somehow the devil tried to gain access to inflict bodily affliction upon us, we have all authority over his power, and we can catch the thief in the act and say, hey, take your hand off, buddy. You're not allowed to do that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So... Look at Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak, say blind and couldn't speak, was brought to Jesus and he healed the man so that he could both see and speak. Jesus did not identify the fact that this man was blind. Well, you know, he has a deteriorating eye disease that causes his retinas to do this, and he's losing sight. And You know, that's what medical science always tries to do. And I'm not telling you that I'm not thankful for doctors. Doctors help a lot of people. 
Amen? But what I am saying is that Jesus always identified, no, you're blind? That's not normal. He was possessed by a devil. Say a devil. What was the source of his blindness? The devil. The demon. What was the source? He couldn't speak. He was blind. And in those days, they used the word dumb. And basically, it just meant they were blind, deaf, and dumb. That means that they were blind. They couldn't hear. They couldn't speak. They were mute. Okay, what was the source of him being unable to speak? The demon. Say the demon. The Bible identifies Satan and demonic forces as the source of bodily affliction. Look at Luke. Turn your Bible to Luke 13, 10 through 16. Luke 13, 10 through 16 says this. One Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and he saw a woman who had been crippled. Crippled, say crippled. What, this was an older woman. She might have had what the world today would cause arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or scoliosis or something. She had been crippled, it says. What was the source of that crippling, that bodily affliction? She had been crippled by an evil spirit. Satan and demonic forces were the source of that bodily affliction. She had been bent over double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. You know, I just want to pause right there. People think that a person being oppressed by the devil means that they're rolling on the ground with their head spinning around, foaming at the mouth. That's not true. Jesus identified sickness and disease as oppression of the devil. So, it says, when Jesus, verse 12, saw her, he called over and said, dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Wow. Healed of your sickness. Then he, it's interchangeable, sickness and evil spirit, sickness and evil spirit. Then he touched her and instantly, say instantly. Say instantly. What was God's method with Abimelech when Abraham prayed? Instantly, supernaturally, miraculously, this is God's method of healing. Well, how many of you know I got my journey? No, I'm telling you, I love you, but that you're letting the devil inflict and oppress things upon you that don't belong to you. I'm not telling you if you have a symptom that you're, you're not holy, you're not righteous. No, I'm telling you, catch the thief. Catch his hand. Hey, take your hand off of me. So instantly she could stand up straight and how she praised God. But the leaders in charge of the synagogue were indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. They said there's six days of week for working. He said to the crowd, come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. What? more? I mean, oh, my gosh, how goofy is that? saw someone walking in the meeting today getting healed and (laughs) well it's not really time for that come back tomorrow you know that's just the dumbest thing the Lord replied you hypocrites each of you work on the Sabbath day don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water this dear woman a daughter of Abraham look at this has been held in bondage by who by who for eight years isn't it right that she be released even on the sabbath you know what was so significant when he referred to her as a daughter of abraham 
Being a daughter of Abraham means that she was entitled to the blessing of Abraham. So basically what Jesus was saying was, this woman can be healed right now, today, on the Sabbath day. It don't matter if it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. I don't care what time it is. She can be healed right now because it's a part of her covenant promise. And and this does not belong to her. So it is rightfully so that she is delivered from this affliction of the devil. Hallelujah. Acts 10.38, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. He went around doing good and healing, say healing, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So say healing. So apparently the Bible says the devil's oppression comes in the form of bodily affliction. It doesn't say he went around just casting out every person that was possessed by the devil. No, he said he healed every person that was oppressed by the devil. So demonic oppression looks like bodily affliction. What's the source of sickness and disease? Sin. But who propagates it? The devil. The devil. The devil. Hallelujah. I pray that you get this inside of you, that when you experience this in your life or your family's life, that you don't have to question what's God's will. You can catch the thief in the act. I want you to say oppression. It says he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That word oppressed means this. The Greek word means to exercise harsh control over one. To exercise harsh control, if there's one word I want you to see on the screen is the word control. I want you to just use your mind and draw a mental circle around that word control. To exercise harsh control over one. That basically means this. In order for the devil to inflict bodily infliction upon you, you have to be under his control. Guess what happens? When you're no longer under the devil's control, he has no right to inflict or to put bodily infliction upon you. That's the word oppressed. It means to be underneath harsh control over a person. In order for him to oppress you, you must be underneath his control. Let's answer this question then. How do you get underneath the devil's control? Number four. Sin puts you under the control of the devil. Where do we find this? 1 John 3.8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. When you belong to the devil, that means you're under his control. When you're under his control, he can oppress you. How does he oppress you? With bodily affliction. Sin puts you underneath the control of the devil. Who has been sinning since the beginning, but the Son of God came to destroy the works of of the devil. Hallelujah. How did God destroy the works of the devil? Let me ask you, is the devil destroyed right now? No, he's not. He will be one day, but he's not right now. So how did he destroy the works of the devil? By making a way for you to come out from underneath his control. 
where now he no longer is able to oppress you. Why? Because Jesus dealt with your sin, which was the only thing that gave him access to oppression. Hallelujah. (laughs) Woo, thank you, Jesus. So sin puts you under the devil's control, or you could just say it like this. It opens the door for his oppression. When I say sin, there, remember, there's two types of sin. There's, in, there's sin that you commit, and there's sin that you inherit. When you sin, when you commit sin, when you actively disobey the, Lord, the word of God, and you're not underneath the blood of Jesus, it says that by doing that, you put yourself under the control of the devil. And he has the right to do whatever the heck he wants to do. But not only when you commit the action of sin, but then again, inherited sin that came from Adam. When you're born into sin, you're born underneath. You're born into sin. Before you even said goo goo gaga, you're born into sin. And you're underneath the devil's control. That means you're underneath his impression. What does the devil do? John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, to destroy. So when you're underneath his oppression and you belong to him, he has free reign to kill you, to steal you, to destroy you. The thief can come into your life and wreak havoc and do whatever he wants to do. When you're under his domain, you are susceptible to the effects of kill, steal, and destroy by means of disease and death. Okay, so here's my point. With all of this in mind, here's the conclusion here. With all of this in mind, you see that sin brought death and disease into the world. Does everybody see that? That according to the Bible, sin is the one that brought death and disease into the world. Satan didn't have the ability to inflict people with disease until after sin was brought into the world. Was Satan in the garden? Apparently he was. But yet he couldn't do a dang thing to Adam and Eve until they disobeyed God. They couldn't get sick. He couldn't kill them. He couldn't steal from them. He couldn't destroy from them because it wasn't until they disobeyed God that they were then underneath his reign and his power and his dominion. Because the Bible says whatever you obey becomes your master. When they chose to disobey God and obey Satan, they actually put Satan by action in the place of God underneath his dominion. So here's my point. This is the good news this morning. You guys ready for the good news? You can be healed today because Jesus dealt with your sin and closed the door to disease and death. You can be healed today, say today, because Jesus dealt with your sin and he closed the door to disease and death. Romans 5.17 For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift, his grace, his gift of righteousness. Say righteousness. So that means he became your sin and we became his righteousness. Look, what what did this cause? When he, guys, Jesus became your sin. I was talking about this in communion this morning. He didn't just cover up your sin. That's Old Covenant. Yeah, I'll give you an example of the Old Covenant. An Old Covenant would look like this. You know, you got to, here's your sin here, this box. I'll put it, where where can I do this, where everybody can see. 
Here, here's this box. Here, come, come up and hold this. I need a volunteer. Here's a box. This is your sin. In the old covenant, there had to be bloodshed in order, when sin was committed, in order for that to be made right or equalized, there had to be the shedding of blood. So what they do? They offered the blood of animals, of bulls and goats. So they would go in, they'd make their little offerings, and, and the sin is here, but the Lord would take the blood of that animal and he would go, oh, did you bring a shirt? Yeah, okay, that might be better. He'd take the blood of that bull or animal and he'd cover it up. He'd say, you know what, I'm covering it, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you sin, so there's the shedding of blood. But guess what, at the end of the day, Guess what's underneath the covering? The sin's still there. The, the seed that Adam sowed that we came from his loins and from his seed, it's still there. What Jesus did with his blood is he didn't just cover up your sin. He took the box and he threw it out. And now there's no sin when the devil comes trying to claim oppression over us, trying to claim dominion over us. He goes to slap his hand on the box, but there's nothing there because God, Jesus became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's just so, go ahead, thanks, brother. It's so amazing. And it says this, even greater is God's wonderful, his wonderful grace, his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, look what it says, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. If you receive the Lord Jesus and what he did, it says you'll live in triumph. Say triumph. We'll read it in the New King James. It says, For by this one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, look what it says, will reign in life. Say, in life. If you have your Bible and you have a New King James, highlight that. In life. In life. Say, in life. What does in life mean? It doesn't mean in heaven. It doesn't mean one day in the new heaven and the new earth. No, you will triumph over sin and death in this life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That word triumph, say triumph. Those that receive this gift will triumph, will reign, will triumph in life over sin and death. That word triumph means to be king. To have power over, to reign, to control. That means that when you receive the free gift that Jesus offers us, you become the king over sin and death. And, and, and it's ugly stepsister sin that brought death and disease. Amen. Amen. So when you triumph over sin, that means you get to triumph over the effects of sin, which is death and disease. Do you understand why the Bible says... You're saying, well, John, does that mean you don't have to die? No, actually, the Bible says you won't die. Do you know that? In the New Testament, it doesn't say that you die. It uses the verbiage fall asleep. When Paul referred to those that had passed away out of this life, he didn't say they died. He said they had fallen asleep. And guess what? When that trumpet sounds, that body that's in the ground will rise up and receive a glorified body and go to meet Christ in the air. Hallelujah. We, have, we get to reign in life over death. We never have to die. And we can reign in life, triumph in life over sickness and disease. Why? Because now we no longer belong to the devil because Jesus dealt with our sin. Hallelujah. 
The door is shut on the devil. He has no right to kill, steal, or destroy you using the effects of sin because of Jesus. Look at Romans 5.18. This is the last thing I'm going to read to you today. In the New King James, Romans 5.18. Therefore, as the one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so... Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, look at this, resulting in justification of life. What is justification of life? What does that phrase mean? The word justification, I love the way our old doctor, our old Bible professor, Dr. Holler said, justification means it's just as if you never did it. When Jesus Gives you justification, justified, it's just as if you never sinned. I've received justification in Christ. It's like all the horrible things I ever thought I ever did. Well, it's just like, it's just as if you never did it. That's what justification is. Hallelujah. And so justification means restored. Say restored. Just as if it never happened. So in Christ, it says not only will we rule and live in triumph in this life over sin and death, but there's this free gift resulting in justification of life, say restoration of life. What is restoration of life? What is really Paul trying to say? It means that Jesus made a way for us to be restored back to the garden. How God's original plan, where we don't lack in poverty, where we don't suffer the effects of disease and illness, where we don't have to suffer this physical death, where we don't have to reap the effects of sin, through Jesus Christ we receive justification of life. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet and give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. For the next several Sundays, well, next Sunday, Brother Timothy Dixon will be here, Prophet Timothy Dixon preaching. It'll be wonderful. But as long as the Lord would have me for the next several Sundays, I'm going to continue to just prove and prove. This is like one of a hundred ways you can prove God's will for you in regards to healing through the Bible. So to answer the question, maybe this was enough for you. Is sickness a part of God's plan for your life? No, No, it's not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Father, I thank you. Just lift your hands up before I dismiss you. Lord, I thank you that we walk in divine health in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, that the devil is not our master and we are not underneath his domain any longer. That we do not have to suffer the bodily affliction that he tries to oppress people with. That we have been justified in life and we will triumph in life over sin and death. Lord, I thank you that our bodies come into alignment right now with the word of God. You, you, by your stripes, we are healed. You took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. We catch the devil Right now, we catch the thief in the act, and anything that he has stolen falsely from us, he must repay seven times over. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, right now, just by the anointing, let everybody come into alignment. Let physical healing manifest in their bodies right now. Every symptom, you leave. You're a liar. You're a deceiver, and you have no right into the children of God's bodies. You must leave at this very moment. I thank you, Lord, for healing. I thank you for your word. And I decree the word 
over these people, Lord, that it says that if we delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, we should be trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Our leaves will never wither and will prosper in all that we do. Lord, I thank you. This week, I release the word in faith. This week, prosperity belongs to us. We believe for miracles this week. We believe for provisions this week. We believe for open doors and testimonies coming in in this week. Lord, we expect a miracle, and we believe that we receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time. This is John Wallace.